good morning on this last day of 2023. How many are glad that this year is behind us? <laughs> okay. It's a good year, huh? <laughs> well, Lord, thank you for gathering us together here this morning and our gathering together tonight as we uh, see 2023 in the rearview mirror and look forward to what you have for us and what you will do in this new year. We're so grateful, Lord, that uh, we have been given the great privilege of walking by faith. And may we continue to do that uh, and to follow you wholeheartedly as we begin this new year. And we pray that you'd bless these opening remarks now in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, just want to read from uh, Luke's Gospel, chapter 17. And the one thing that I'm looking forward to uh, in the new year, uh, more than anything else, is uh, Jesus. Um, I'm looking forward to his coming. How about you? Amen? Wouldn't that be a great way? I mean, there's a, there is one other thing I'm looking forward to. That's Cody Walker's wedding. Um, so... I guess, if it's possible, maybe that could happen first, <laughs> for Cody's sake. Um, and then, of course, you know, the rapture. But really, I, I think no matter what we're, we're hoping for, no matter what we're expecting, no matter what it is that, our, that the expectation is from our hearts, we would be fine if Jesus interrupted that and raptured us out of this life. I think we would be fine. I don't think there would be any disappointment. I don't think we would, you know, we would stand before Jesus if that were to happen. Just, you know, here we were in the clouds and say, did you really have to come now? <laughs> Didn't you know what I had planned? You know, uh, no, I, I think we would be like, thank you, Jesus. And, and that's what I'm looking forward to. And that's really what all of us should be. In fact, I have to, to make a, an admission I've been looking forward to that since 1973. When I first got saved and heard about the rapture, all I could think of was, oh, I hope it happens soon. And here we are 50 years later. But guess what? That desire, that hope, that blessed hope, that anticipation has not waned at all. It's still there. And I, and I completely, I wholeheartedly believe that it's going to happen in an imminent fashion, which means at any moment. Nothing has to happen on the prophetic calendar for Jesus to return and to take his church out of this world. And I do hope it happens. But when you read the scriptures, there is, there's one thing that we keep hearing Jesus say in the gospels. And, and it was that he did not say, that his return would be similar to the days of Abraham. He didn't say that. He didn't say that his return would be like, let's say, the days of Daniel or any other Old Testament character like that. But he did say his return would happen, and the day in which he returned would be like what? The days of Noah. 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 Now, think about that. What were the days of, 
of Noah like? What was the generation uh, at that time, what characterized that generation? A few things. Uh, one of them was a real uh, cavalier attitude toward the things of God, which means, you know, very dismissive. What was it like for Noah to spend, and, and he did two things. He was a carpenter and an evangelist. Kind of sounds like Jesus. He was a carpenter and evangelist. And he built that ark, but he also preached the gospel. For how long? 120 years. Can you imagine? Can you imagine just the cavalier attitude of all those in his generation that would watch him and listen to him and, and and to see that go on? Can you imagine after a year you know, of his preaching, people saying, well, you know, it hasn't happened yet. Ten years after his preaching, uh, you know, clearly this, this man is, is, is mentally disturbed. You know, 50 years, 100 years, you'd be like, you know, <laughs> this is ridiculous. This is never going to happen. I think some people, when it comes to the return of Christ, even believers, because Peter spoke about them. He, he said in the last days, scoffers will come. And there's no indication that these scoffers were unbelievers. They might be believers who say and question the imminent return of Christ, saying things like, where is the promise of his coming? Everything has continued since our fathers fell asleep. I don't think it's really going to happen. And they say that just because it has never happened before. But there's a lot of things we read about in the Bible that never happened before, and then they happened because God was in it, and God made it happen. And again, this this dismissive attitude. Uh, One preacher actually said this to his congregation because there was, you know, a resurgence. People were talking about the rapture. He wanted to kind of, you know, put it in perspective. And he said that the rapture is not relevant. He said that to his church. And I wonder, 30 seconds after the rapture, how relevant he will think it is. When it happens, because we believe wholeheartedly it is going to happen. Because Jesus promised it. He promised it to his disciples. He promised it to everyone who believes. He's going to prepare a place for us. And, and, and he's going to come again and what? Receive us unto himself that where he is, we also will be with him. And we know what Paul taught in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. That, that meeting is going to take place in the clouds. And it's going to happen. So it was a, a very cavalier gen, but it wasn't just a cavalier generation. It was a careless generation. Why? What do we read? Well, we read that in the days of Noah, they ate, they drank, they married wives. They were given in marriage until the day Noah entered into the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. I mean, is there anything wrong with eating and drinking? No, we do it all the time. Anything wrong with getting married? No, we do it all the time, even Cody Walker. Um, is there anything, you know, with, with what we read here? No, it's, it's very typical. It, it's like the average daily lives of people that are alive on the planet. Nothing wrong with that. But but there's a carelessness that can be attached to that kind of living. 
a carelessness in the sense that we just keep thinking that it's just going to continue this way. And, and it seems like we're living in a generation now that is so careless. So, I mean, they, we're living in a generation where it says in Romans chapter 1 where they don't like to retain God in their knowledge. They, they're not interested in it. They don't want to hear about it. It's disturbing and troubling to them. And then anytime, even in some circles, you want to bring up the gospel, people say, no, no what are you doing that for? You know, why are you troubling our lives? We just want to eat and drink and build our homes and get married and have families and, and reach the American dream, which so often becomes a nightmare. They just say, you know, just leave us alone. Don't talk to us about these things. Cavalier, careless. And then, of course, we read this in Genesis chapter 6, a corrupt generation. We're seeing that. Every, we, we read about it in Genesis chapter 6. Every thought, every imagination, only evil continually. We, we are actually witnessing this now in these perilous times that Paul spoke about that we're living in. And I think the last thing we could say, we could say about this, this rapture is that you don't want to be caught off guard when it happens. Right? Two groups of people will be alive when the rapture occurs. Two groups of Christians. 1 John chapter 2, verse 28 says, some will be uh, ashamed at his appearing. Others will be confident. And who, who is that confident crowd at his appearing? The people that are waiting for the Lord in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10. The people that are looking for the blessed hope of Titus chapter 2, verse 13 anticipating that it will be at any moment. That's what I'm excited about. That's what I'm looking forward to. I like to believe that, yes, it's a new year, and the promise of God, even though it's an old promise, it's fresh in our hearts, it's fresh in our minds, and he could come at any moment. Think about it. And the ark, you know, just I'll close with this. The ark. My understanding is that when Noah built that ark, there was one door. One door. One door for, for, for the, the, the insects, one door for the birds, and one door for animals that are much better. Like, I mean, when elephants approach the ark, Noah didn't say, oh, you have to go down to the, the elevator on the right side of the ark. There's a special entrance for you because of your size and weight. No, one door. One door to the ark. And every animal and every person had to go through that one door. Doesn't that remind us of what Jesus said about himself? I am the door. I am the door. And that's why we, we're compelled, we're constrained by the love of God to proclaim the gospel because there's one door. Not may all roads lead to heaven. No, they don't. You could go through any door of any religious construction. And it, no, it's one door. It's Christ himself. And if you don't go through that one door, you don't end up in the ark of salvation. And that's what Christ is for us. When you're in him and you're just like anyone in that ark, you are safe from the judgment that will eventually come. And thank God that today we're in Christ. We will never be touched by the judgment of God because we're safely in God's ark which is Christ himself. And how do we get in? Through Christ, through, through the door. He said, I am the door. You enter in to this life, to this salvation through me 
alone. So again, we're living. This is the challenge for us. Even as we enter the new year, we're living in a, amidst a generation that is cavalier, uh, corrupt, careless, and, 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 and a generation that, that could very well be caught off guard when Christ comes. But when he comes, we're going to be ready. Amen. We're going to be watching. We're going to be waiting. And, and we are going to be looking for our blessed hope. And we are not going to be ashamed. We're going to be confident because we, we just, we, we believed his promise. And we know that the rapture is, it's relevant. Oh, it's relevant in our lives because it's going to happen. You have Jesus' word on it. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Lord, you have promised to take the yoke off our jaws and lay food unto us. You have drawn us with the cords of a man. You have loved us continually. Your spirit lead us in this year. We thank you for this past year and all your grace every day. Every every day, every moment, we are standing in your grace, loved eternally, cared for, carried, anointed, indwelt, by your spirit, opening our eyes to behold wonderful things out of your word. You've given us friends that have meaningful value and relationships that are born from heaven, sisters and brothers. We are called by your name. Our name is in your book. All of our members are recorded in your book, even before they were made. You know our doubts sitting and uprising. You know our thoughts so far off. You have called us with an efficacious call. We are here before you, standing before you, sitting before you, seated in heavenly places with our sins forgiven, and we are called saints and priests of God. Lord, we have power with you and authority with you in faith and in prayer. We look forward to this coming year with robust attitudes of faith and joy and peace. Yes, Lord. Teach us. Thank you for Pastor Love, the message he gave. They were cavalier, they were careless, and they were corrupt. Yes, corrupt. This generation. But we are not. Yes, we, we pray that we will walk in what we have. In Jesus' name. Amen.
Amen. Wow, I cannot tell you how much I appreciate you, your love, your faith, your faces, your hearts. Wow, it's an honor. Yeah, Jesus coming back, Pastor Love said he is. Come on, the Bible says he is. Is Jesus coming? Yes, he's coming. Okay, Um, a few thoughts from the book of Galatians this morning. We have a special service tonight. I hope you can make half of it, maybe all of it. It's up to you. We have Pastor Steve DeVries here from Kentucky, but that's not all. We have Pastor Dan Dunbar from South Korea, and then his mom, Kay, right there in the fifth row, fourth fourth row, which you're, you're a precious family to us. We so many know you. Appreciate you very much. Um, and then we have Niazi is coming. He came, I believe. Niazi is here from Toronto and maybe some others. So it's a special day today for us. And then tonight, um, our 8 to 10 or 8 to 9.45, um, our, our, with some video uh, message or two, then a food break down here, uh, and then the, the, the ones that want to stay uh, and go into the year on our knees. How many of you gone into the new year in a bar room? <laughs> Only one? Come on. <laughs> okay. Hey, you go into the new year drunk, go into the new year in, you know, Crazy, you go into the new year, party, and so on. But you're a born-again Christian now. How do you go into the new year? How do you do that? How do you go into the new year? Yeah, on on our knees, if we can make it down on our knees. Uh, On our knees, like fearing the fear of God is, is a great way to go into the year. And the years go, and we say to the Lord, thank you so much for what you do for us. I asked Pastor Steve Andalonis. He's an amazing guy, isn't he? Pastor Steve. We don't give him much credit. No, we don't want to do that because we don't want him to be proud. No, but he, he and Jen Lynch and... And, uh, you know, the services, and I'm a last-minute guy, and ask her things on the iPad, and uh, quotations, and research. But I gave him a little time on this. I asked him, what are the most popular resolutions that the world makes, the unbelievers make uh, on New Year's? So here's a short list. They, they decide they're going to exercise more. Yeah, I mean, these are good. I mean, they're not bad things, but just this is the way life is. Lose weight. All right, you want to turn to your neighbor and go ahead, share. Would wait, you know, is that a good one or not? Lose weight. <laughs> Get organized, number three. Learn a new skill or hobby. 
<laughs> you like that. Okay. Uh, save more money. Spend less money. Quit smoking. Spend more time with family and friends. Travel more. Read, read more. Number 10. Then I asked him, what are Christians, what are the resolutions that he found in his online research? Purpose to show hospitality, number one. That's a good, like maybe, do I show hospitality? Do I open up my home? Um, Are people welcome in my car? Are they welcome to be in my company? Are people welcome in my life? It's a good word, isn't it? It doesn't mean my at my house, just hospitality in my heart. So uh, follow a Bible reading plan. Find ways to serve others. Manage finances better. Listen more. Build encouraging relationships Start a spiritual and thankfulness journal. Memorize scripture. Pray daily. Then I I gave a third question to Pastor Steve. What are greater grace people resolutions do they make? Now I have a short list. I don't know if he interviewed you. I doubt it. He just... I like it though. Make a special offering as God leads. Become a friend to a new church member. Reach out to a neighbor. Invest in a coworker. Participate in a new outreach. Pray for an outreach to a new country. Take a fresh Bible college course. Sing more. Hmm. Go sing more. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, very biblical, isn't it? Go on a harvest trip, pray for your pastor. Thank you. Thank you. Thoroughly study line upon line one book of the Bible. Read Proverbs every month. Pray through the Psalms and so on. So then he he did a good, I'm not going to do the rest of it, but anyway, here's my message in Galatians. So, one pastor wrote, uh, he was pastoring here in the United States, and he said, when I looked at the people I was living with as pastor, they were fairly affluent, well-educated, and somewhat knowledgeable about the Christianity, but I realized how unfree they were. They were buying expensive security systems to protect their possessions. They were overcome with anxieties in the face of rising inflation. They were pessimistic about the prospects for justice and peace in a world bristling with sophisticated weapons, systems, and nuclear devices, they were living huddled, worried, defensive lives. I wanted to shout, don't live that way. You are Christians. Our lives can be a growth into freedom instead of a withdrawal into anxious weariness. I know what he's saying. I understand that, and I see it, too, in our life. The age is evil, he writes. Uh, 
we fear overpopulation, destruction of the ozone layer, starvation in the third world, double-digit inflation, many personal fears of rejection and failure, uh, ill health, and so on. Fear is a normal response to the chaos around us, the threat of being overcome by hostile forces or being ineffective or hurt or thwarted or fated to poor and mean and scrubby lives. These fears are fed by the news of the day and so on. And I am looking at Galatians because Galatians is about bondage and freedom. And he says here in this chapter 1, verse for who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father. He came to deliver us, not take us out of it, but rescue us in it, kind of like the three Hebrew boys in the book of Daniel. They were in the furnace. They weren't taken out. They were in it. But there was a fourth one in the furnace. This is our kind of deliverance. Before the rapture, which is coming, we are living here. And what kind of life are we living? I want to use a word I put up on the screen here. Uh, This word. Um. Fear, right? Okay. Fear. Fear. And then I want to put here the word robust. So, in the book of Galatians, Paul had ministered to these people and they had found liberty and joy and courage and a robust life. They found the spirit of God in in their hearts, and they were moving in the spirit. That's in Galatians 3, verse 2. This only would I learn of you, received you the spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith. Just by hearing, by faith, we receive the spirit of God. What a beautiful, beautiful story that is. The spirit of God, the spirit of liberty, the spirit where God becomes so real in the spirit that there is the worship of God by the believer. And then the things of the world, the the things that are valuable in the world, they take on a different we understand them differently. I, w- I was thinking, uh, I cannot help but mention COVID in this context because I, with all due respect to everybody and you know, everybody's opinion and attitude about it, but I want to step back from it and think about how easily we are afraid of dying. We're afraid of what people say about us. We're afraid of um, opinions of people, relationships. That, that's like one 
that was one experience we had. But with every day we have them. Because this world is a, is a world that projects upon us our guilt and our, our insecurities. And even Peter, in the book of Galatians, in chapter 2, Paul saw an apostle, Peter, you know, manipulated and afraid of Jewish, high-level Jewish religious leaders. Pastor Chabelli's mentioned it before, and I agree with him that that Peter had, he was a fisherman, a poor man from the north, not an Orthodox Jew, not well-educated, not in a high rank in society. And these high-rank society people intimidated him. He was afraid of them. He was afraid of being rejected by them. Uh, so he was careful to eat with the Jews Jewish food, but when he was with the Gentiles, he was able to eat the Gentile food. Because, as you know in the story in Acts 10 and chapter 11, here's the point. We also are afraid. We're afraid of many things. We are also, like, limited as Christians. We may go back into our order and behavior. And, um, you know, one pastor told a story about in his parking lot, there was a little confusion in the parking. And so they painted arrows on the asphalt for the direction of the traffic. But one woman was constantly disobeying the arrows. And it brought, it was brought to the attention of the leadership. And they just had a talk with her. And it became a big deal. Like the arrows are there for you to obey, for you to follow. But there was something about this woman and this pastor who's telling the story. Like she was actually a spirit-filled, joyful, free person. Like she was a spirit-filled, robust Christian and that the uh, that others, I'm saying this only generally, you know, apart from the story, just for you to follow me, others that we may have all of our things in order, but do we have love? We might have a perfect life running, you know, we're running a good program, and everybody recognizes it, and they are like, yeah, we got it all right, but are we wrong? Are we free? Are we robust? Do we have our joy, our faith, our peace? Do we have Jesus in our life? And you notice in the New Testament, when Jesus is in your life, there's something going on that the world cannot produce. They cannot produce that. They, they have NFL games, they have stadiums packed out, they have celebrities, they have sex models, and they have money and lotteries, you know, $458 million or some outrageous number. It's like, I could care less about your money. Can you imagine having that freedom? That you have a lust pattern in your soul? Yeah, you have some give me, give me, give me attitude in your heart. 
Like, I deserve it, give it to me, give it to me, I deserve more, and so on. All of this thing that works in this world, we are delivered. We are different. We are delivered from this evil world. Look at chapter 1, verse 4. Who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us. The word is rescue us. And I say again, it's not taking you out of Egypt. It is like you are in the fiery furnace, but you are delivered while you are living there. And then what does it say? According to the will of God and our Father. So, um, um, let's go to Galatians 5 and finish this up in a few Minutes, chapter 5, in verse verse 1. Stand fast in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free. And be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Now, the Galatians... As you know, the general sketch for this teaching in our ministry of law and grace goes like this, that the sketch is that um, um, there's a stairway of merit that you make. You make progress going up as a person climbing uh, the steps and going up to God and the world loves it if you live like that the world will say you got to do one more step the heretics will say you got to do one more step and after you do that you got to do one more and after you sacrifice for six months you got to do another you never make it you never make it to God and this is time and work Time is this axis, this one, and this one is work. So there's always, so you are, you and I are in bondage. There's always more Bible reading, always more prayer, always more. By the way, uh, um, Brother Lawrence wrote, I mentioned it in a morning devotional, that he just dropped all prayer programs, all prayer disciplines, and he just decided that in his heart he will simply pay attention. He will pay attention to God. He will focus on God everywhere in the kitchen, wherever he was. Because he was a monk in Belgium, I think 13th century, working in the kitchen. And he couldn't pray like the others in the chapel. And he couldn't meditate and study because he was a kitchen worker as a monk, but he learned to practice God's presence every day, all, always by paying attention to God. And who is God? This is the bigger question. It's not like your program here, this one. It's not about you and I climbing a ladder. Did I pray enough? God is saying, like, knock it off. Like, I understand you, but Listen to me. Learn of me. I am meek and lowly. 
I saved you. I gave you grace. I set you free. Stand fast in your liberty. Well, what, what does it mean? It means this. Here's God saving us by giving us Christ on the cross. We come to him and we are accepted always. Always. It's already done. Accepted in the beloved. Loved by God eternally. Uh, called by name. Um, um, justified. Sanctified. Um, ordained. Equipped. Anointed. Indwelt. Sealed. That we are... We are with him, in him, in his family, and this is all by his grace. It all is showered on us as sinners, loaded, loaded sinners, sinners, loaded with sin, loaded with it in my heart, in my life, a sinner. But born again with a new heart, his, the sin is gone, taken away, and now walking in faith, we have fellowship with God, and he's a holy God. And the holy God is with the holy, the holy Christ, the new man, the new heart, the spirit of God in us is in fellowship. We are in fellowship with God as a sinner, saved by his grace, redeemed by his blood. Sealed by his spirit, anointed by in his will, called and predestinated, justified, all of it that has happened to us. Now then, how should I live then my life? I should be aware of the bondage that comes on me from this system here, which on the, on the left side here. This services in my life a lot. I think of what I must do. And it isn't, you, you walk with God and you'll be able to sort this out and figure it out and understand it. Because there are things that we do in our sanctification. Absolutely. There are things that we repent of. There are things that we recognize to be sinful. That, that sin is an enemy of my robust life. That sin, if I entertain that sin, it'll steal my joy. If I entertain that sin and I follow that temptation and I go with it into that thing, then that will be, I will fall down in some kind of soup, misery, some kind of crazy thing, some kind of attitude, slump, depression, anxiety, fear. I'll be more like, like wrapped up in my um, my sinful way and my my disappointment and my guilt, and then I will be in a robust life in the spirit. The robust life is a life that takes some effort on our part. I have a short list for it, so let's look at it here for a minute. Living the robust life is Galatians chapter 5. We read verse 1. We are to stand fast in our freedom and not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. 
that entanglement that's the, that's the that's the uh that's my sin nature and the lust that it, that is in the world they will entice me offer me a carrot I will follow the carrot, I will take the carrot, I will follow the carrot, and I lose my liberty. Where's your liberty, Pastor Shelley? I don't have it. I lost it. Actually, I'm a, I'm a little bit afraid. I'm nervous about things. I'm worried. I'm, I'm upset. I don't know why. I, I don't talk to my neighbors anymore. I don't care about it. I don't care about the church that much anymore. I don't care about my Christian life, and I'm not reading my Bible like I, I used to. There was something happening in my heart, but I haven't had that happen to me for a long time. What's happened? Uh, my my sin nature is very much alive and capable of leading me into bondage. I go into bondage. And then there is the, the teaching that I could be exposed to was like, you didn't try hard enough. Um, you're not sincere. You're, you're, you know, maybe you're not even, God doesn't love you anymore. You don't have it anymore. And so I, I go, well, what can I do to get it back? And I go to this, uh, this sketch here, uh, that, that one on the, on the left side. I go to that sketch. This is what I must do. And Paul is saying, no, you just need to know who you are and recognize that and denounce it. Just don't accept it. That's a lie. That's not who I am. I, I, I have lost my liberty. I've lost my joy. I've lost my motivation. I've lost my hunger. I've lost my, my robust attitude about life. I'm afraid like everybody else in this world is afraid. I've withdrawn like everybody else withdraws in the world. I'm staying on my couch like everybody else is staying on their couch. I'm staying out of trouble like everybody else is staying out of trouble. And then I live like that. And like that's, that's not what, what this is about. I, I, I obeyed the painted lines on the asphalt out there. You know, I did the right thing. Is that okay? Yes, you're doing a good job. You good job. It's a, yeah, but inside, like inside, I'm obeying the rules, but I don't have the joy. What happened to me? And Jesus Christ, God is saying, uh, I want you. Come to me and bow before me and listen to me. Because I have things to say to you that will stir your heart, that will touch you. I have things for you. And Paul is saying to the Galatians, do not get entangled again with those teachings and that way of thinking that puts you in the world and steals from you what I gave you. Guys, you were not born to just be a cookie cutter kind of like a programmed machine. You were made to be free with real freedom. Like you can dance on the painted lines. You can do backflips off the top of the building. You can go to your neighbor and say, God, what can I, what can I do for you? How are you today? Man, life is good. 
I'm, I, we're living life to the maximum through Jesus Christ. Let's read, read it the way it's written here in Galatians 5, and we'll finish. It says, verse 7, You did run well. Who did hinder you that you should not obey the truth? By the way, when you and I are following Christ, we obey the truth. We start obeying the truth. We actually start doing it. We are actually rejoicing or singing or believing or trusting. So verse 8, this persuasion comes not of him that calls you like to hinder you by legalism. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. Like a little bit of bad influence, a little bit of a wrong relationship leavens the whole lump. A little bit of... uh, a relationship with another person that is not right. And I have a little picture in my mind that came up through the years of thinking of how, how a rudder on a ship is like running like this and just a small change, and it changes the course. And in, in an airplane, you have it, and you have a small change. You can be, because it's going so fast, Airplane can be hundreds of miles off of where it should be if it's not constantly being corrected, you know, right? So my life needs that. Guys, I am in a relationship with a person, and then it goes a little bit weird. And it's like, no, wait a minute. Um, A little leaven leavens the whole lump. And a little bit of legalism can take away our joy and our peace and our what's in our hearts and what it means to be standing fast in his liberty. Look at chapter 5, verse 10. I have confidence in you through the Lord that you will be none otherwise minded, but he that troubles you shall bear his judgment. And I, brethren, if I yet preach circumcision, why do I suffer persecution? Then is the offense of the cross ceased. I would they were even cut off, which trouble you. For, brethren, you have been called unto liberty. Here it is. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. And I'll just say like this. You, we, we have liberty so that we can live a robust life and serve one another. That's that's what it means. It's not the liberty to have my way, live my way. It's a liberty. It's a deep liberty to live with God and do God's will. And make a purpose this coming year to share your faith with people out of love. Have a purpose in your heart that you're going to uh, have a, a good word in season. Have a have a joy in your family, in your home, um, a kindness and care. Um, have a, have it in your heart that you you want to uh, embrace the body of Christ and and be around in the body and be available. And we are really so good at that with so many people. But if you bite and devour, verse uh, fourteen. For all the laws fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, and how easy that happens, how people get miserable. 
nasty, biting and devouring one another. You know, boy, what was that over here? Glory to God. Thank you, Lord. Amen. But don't bite and devour one another. Take heed that you be not consumed one of another. We bite and devour. Okay, here's somebody. They're very disappointed somehow. They're kind of legalistic. They get nasty. They need to be corrected. Hopefully life will correct me. Like, why am I so upset? Why am I so worried? Why am I so nervous? Why am I, and maybe, and, and I don't know why. I don't know why. But I would say, Paul is saying, you've been called to grace. Stand in your liberty and love and serve one another. And in your serving, you may find your liberty. But in our complaining, in our mumbling, complaining and nasty disposition, the world, we lose friends. We, we grieve the spirit. We are disappointed with our Christianity. We might be disappointed with our church. We might be disappointed with our life, with our family, with everything. We just, and then we're just like in the world. And they're just, the world is just saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're a miserable person. And you, yeah, this is what they did to you. And this is what you got. And they, yeah, it's not fair. And that shouldn't have happened to you. And yeah, yeah, yeah. And all that. That's all. That's, that's it. That's how. And Paul is saying, if you live like that, be careful you don't eat each other up in the church, biting and devouring. You know, biting into somebody's arm and and actually eating. It's really crazy the way he says it, but it comes across. Like you will destroy each other. That church down to Sailors Union, that church had five people in it. And it had been a robust church at one time. And then it went down to one person, and the wife of that one person said, you should give this church to greater grace. Because they knew about our church, and she said, you should give that, this church to greater grace. They will do something with it. Guys, we're, we're going to die, and there, there's no, nobody here. And they got fighting about the King James Version of the Bible being the real, you know, the only the Bible and all that. But here, here's the thing. Don't do that. Wake up. Like, realize, like, no, I'm with people like Stephen in the book of Acts. No, I, I found the joy of serving. No, I, I want to think the best about my sister and brother. No, the same grace that God gave me, I want to give out to others. No, I've been forgiven a lot. May I forgive a lot? Just forgive a lot. Just go go out your front door of your house and just go like this around in the neighborhood and just say, I forgive you. I forgive all of you. I forgive you. Grace be unto you. God bless you. God bless you. Wait, what is this? We have freedom to love. We have freedom to forgive. Amen. 